Why don't we just bow our heads in a word of prayer? Our eternal God and gracious Heavenly Father, what a privilege it is for your people to sit under the sound of your word, to be reminded at the very outset that we have a living hope. Indeed, as the hymn writer would say, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus Christ and righteousness. And Father, even as we consider these various topics, may we understand that they are all connected because of the blood of Jesus Christ and his righteousness. That we cannot separate any of these topics from what our Redeemer has paid for us and what he expects of us. So we pray, Father, that you would give us the humility to wait on you, to still our hearts, not to listen to the voice of a messenger, but to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit speaking through your servant. And may we have the courage and be vulnerable enough to understand where we have strayed off course and how we can be brought back on course. Because as we rightly divide the word of truth, the entrance of your word gives light. And we ask that your illumination would lead to transformation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I also bring you greetings from New Life Bible Chapel, which is where my wife and I fellowship, and we have been for the last few years. Uh, when that bio was was first put together, um, I think it was for, I can't remember what it was for, but anyway, uh, when George asked me for a bio, I didn't have one, so I had to call somebody to ask, and, and they forwarded that bio to me, and I forwarded it to you, and that was uh, four years ago, so we've been married 40 years, not 37 <laughs> Okay, but the number of children are the same. <laughs> okay, however, the grandchildren have increased. <clears throat> we do have seven grandchildren and one on the way. So, so let me issue some disclaimers. I don't come before you this morning as an expert in conflict resolution, particularly in terms of marriage. My wife and I have not conquered the various aspects of what it takes for a marriage to be completely in the image of Jesus Christ and his church. And I must admit that our marriage is not conflict-free. You see, conflict is a universal condition after the fall. Conflict is possible because God has given us a free will. It is because of that volitional aspect that conflict is even possible. Well, what do you mean? Well, maybe my wife likes masala dosa and I like chicken biryani. And I say, let's have some people over. And she says, we're just going to cook masala dosa. I said, no, 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 wait a minute. I want some chicken biryani. Well, right away, the reason she has a choice and I have a choice. And as long as human beings exist 
and we exercise choice, there are bound to be, there is bound to be conflict. And Satan, the master deceiver, he's got an MD, right? The master deceiver, he knows that. Okay? And so he weaves himself into our garden of marriage. And he gradually starts to pop those questions. And he brings several of those preferences, you know, into, into each of our lives. And if we are not guarded, and if we are not humble, and if we are not submissive, and if we are not surrendered, guess what happens? I want to turn the lights off at 8. My wife wants to turn the light off, lights off at midnight. I want to watch Fox. She wants to watch CNN. Whatever. You know what I mean? You see, and this goes on and on, okay? So, <clears throat> we've had our share of conflicts. By God's grace, we are still together. Many biblical characters. You see, uh, I was talking at, uh, my, my uncle is sitting here at the, at the church uh, last Wednesday, right? Tuesday. Tuesday. And we were talking about God giving us a Bible, not like a textbook, but in terms of stories of individuals. Right? Real stories. Real stories of deception and, and backbiting and, and uh, favoritism uh, and, and, and jealousy. Isn't it interesting? Right from Genesis, he puts these characters into our midst. And, and they show how difficult it is, how life is difficult. And that, that people are struggling through these issues. And, and as their faith goes up and down, it wavers and, it, and, and they cling to God in faith. You see results and, and you see God working in the hearts and minds of individuals. And so the, 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 the scripture opens up by these four words. In the beginning God. And then you keep reading it. And God said. And God said. And God said. And then we read. And God blessed. And God blessed. And God blessed. And then pretty soon he says, "These are the generations of." See, you know what I mean. Read Genesis. These are the generations of of Adam. The and so now he's saying, "These are the pe- these are people people that I created in my image." These are the generation of Noah. And then pretty soon, these are the generations of Japheth. And Abraham. And Abraham dies in Isaac. And then generations of Jacob. And when he talks about the generations of Jacob, for the first time, Joseph is introduced at age 17. And we know the story of all of that, right? Individuals who struggled... <clears throat> Rebecca and Isaac, who showed amazing and terrible favoritism to, to Jacob and Esau. Marital conflict. Scripture has given us these lessons for us to learn. <clears throat> and sometimes those conflicts remain unresolved. Unresolved conflict creates Enduring damage. Damage to our siblings. Damage to our brothers and sisters in Christ. 
Because it damages our emotions. Damaged emotions lead to distorted perceptions. Okay? Damaged emotions leads to distorted perceptions. But God wants us to have delightful priorities. Not dutiful priorities, but delightful priorities. And there's a big difference. And so it is incumbent upon all of us to submit to the God of the Bible and resolve as many conflicts as possible within the church environment, within the corporate environment. And for this particular session, I will look at marriage in general. Unresolved conflict also leads to poor testimony and witness. One of the biggest challenges that I have when I go and speak to different groups is the question that if, if you truly believe in the forgiveness of the Lord Jesus Christ, how is it that brothers cannot forgive each other and there are all these splits? That is the hardest question for me to answer. On the other hand, I hope that you will see that conflicts are opportunities for growth. Okay? Conflicts are opportunities for growth. And you'll see that today in some way. I'll, I'll, I'll try to address that. So just for, to start out with. What is important to understand what conflict is and what conflict isn't. Just disagreement, okay? Just disagreement is not a conflict. A vibrant and vigorous discussion is not a conflict. God has Peter and God has Paul. Different personalities. And you find when you read the book of Acts and also the book of Galatians that they were in conflict. But you also find as things go on that the conflict got resolved because of John Mark. Disagreement is not a conflict. My preferences are not a conflict if my partner disagrees with me. Like I mentioned, chicken biryani or masala dosa or whatever it is, right? Watching a TV channel. Maybe she wants to watch baseball and I want to watch cricket. I love cricket. Okay? Those, those preferences are not conflicts. Now, if those preferences are not dealt with properly and I insist, I insist unbiblically, by pointing to Ephesians, it says, hey, wife, submit yourself to your husband. Okay? Now, you remember one thing. Nowhere does the Bible say the husband is to bring his wife to submission. Get it? Because submission is an intrinsic, inherent, um, heart-examined behavior that emanates. 
You can't bring somebody into submission. You can, you can, by beating them and, you know, and, and, and emotionally abusing them and all those things. You can. But their compliance should not be misconstrued as submission. Right? And then, of course, there is the misunderstanding of grace that occurs in many marriages. Okay? So, I have to stop at 11.30, right? 11.40, okay. Conflict in marriage is inevitable. Okay? Why? Believers with selfish motives, think about this. Believers with selfish motives, okay? Different family background. Different personalities and temperaments. Then we all have bad habits. We have preferences. We have unmet expectations. We have daily life pressures. And then we have disagreement about money. Disagreement about in-laws, right? You bring all of this together and what do you get? Conflict. (laughs) Okay? Now, unresolved conflict is one of the worst things that can happen. It actually becomes the master of our marriage. Okay? Unresolved conflict is grievous to the Lord. And we serve two masters then. We serve the master of unresolved conflict or we serve the master of our marriage. So, unresolved conflicts develops into bitterness, leading to isolation and loneliness in marriage. What happens? Unresolved conflict. One of the partners goes undercover. Silence. They ain't talking. It leads to desolation and loneliness. Our children watch this. Why isn't mom and dad talking? Or it goes the other way, right? Mom is yelling at dad and dad is yelling at mom and you know and, and they are talking past each other. It is injurious to our next generation. It presents a distorted picture to the world. All of, the, all of us that come to churches and say, you know, is, our marriage is supposed to be a reflection of Christ and the church. And, and the world outside doesn't understand that. And we are trying to give them that picture. And, and they say, what is this? Are you talking about the same Christ that is in the Bible? So, when we talk about Christian marriage as a picture of Christ in the church, we need to have this, this, this um, desire, this, this wantingness to resolve conflict. Now, one of the things that I have done is that I didn't create a lot of this PowerPoint by myself. I elaborated or modified from an article I read from a, 
a, uh, a good marriage counselor called Dennis Rainey, and I retained the structure and added some of mine. Okay, um, and these are some practical t- tips from this gentleman called Dennis Rainey. He's written a lot of books about marriage and and things of that nature. So, the first thing that is important, and and I know this is like a cliche, right? Pray together, and I'm sure you've heard the 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 cliche: the family that prays together stays together, right? And so the question is, this whole aspect of prayer. When I went to a Catholic school uh, in Mumbai, but I left in, in India a lot of, long before a lot of you guys were born. Okay, I left in '71. Every morning we had this assembly. I'm sure some of you you had the assembly too, right? And then we all stood in line, and then somebody would repeat, "Eternal God, Father of all creation." You know, this is a generic prayer, right? I pray every day. So if somebody asks me, do you pray every day? I say, yep. I go, to ch- I go to my school, I stand in the assembly line, and I repeat after somebody. Right? And sometimes we have to ask ourselves when we pray, okay, what are we praying? Who are we praying to? Is there, is there some, some reality to the, this prayer? Or have I gotten into the habit of repeating what I heard at church, what my parents say, and just repeat, you know, bless so-and-so, you know, my my kids are over here. I mean, is is that how we pray? And, you know, when I I talk about this, people say, well, well, how, how else can we pray? Well, one of the things that God wants us in our prayer is to open our heart to Him. We have to open our heart to Him. We have to see ourselves, for ourselves, who He is. If we say He is an eternal God, what does that mean for me? If I say He is the great I Am, well, what does that mean to me? Has it, has it meant something to me when I say eternal God? So praying together is not just accomplishing a task. It's not a checklist that you, 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 check, you check off on your Excel spreadsheet for the day. It's something that you engage in. You engage in not as a duty, but as a delight. Get it? Not as a duty, but as a delight. Now, I'm sure we all grew up in families where our parents made us do chores, right? I mean, take the garbage out, and you know, and we have four boys, and so boys are not very cooperative often, and we used to tell them, okay, you're going to empty the dishwasher today, you know. But one day I found out that the second guy was never emptying the dishwasher. Later on, I found that he was blackmailing that guy, (laughs) you know. But as he's emptying the dishwasher, he's emptying it, why? As a duty. He's not, oh, thank you, God, for giving me this wonderful job that, you know, and and my parents are so awesome that they make me, they're training me for life. I mean, (laughs) 
he, he doesn't say that, right? He, he's just emptying the dishwasher and he's mad because, you know, he has to play basketball or watch a program or whatever it is and, and he can't wait to get out of the kitchen. And I'm saying sometimes our prayers are like that. Okay? And I would just want to encourage couples and encourage everybody to that, that resolving conflict and, and, and I'm, I'm coming back to that because you know, I just want to remain on course and praying about the conflict is not a duty it needs to become a delight and so what does he want? he wants tender hearts hearts that are pliable that the Holy Spirit can work Right? And, and let's face it, we don't know how to resolve many of these conflicts. Okay? So what do we need? We need wisdom. If any one of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives little by little. Yeah, exactly. So I, you know, I can't help resolve all your conflicts and you can't help resolve all my conflicts, but I can point you to say that God wants Tender hearts. That's what I was meaning about prayer. Okay? We commit. This is, the, this is the couple. Okay? We commit to come together in a spirit of humility and reconciliation. As a marital team, we acknowledge that we need to consider the health of our marriage as being more important than our individual interests. I copied this from somebody, okay? It's it's not my original. I just want you to know that. But doesn't that make sense? Right? We we together, we we come together as a a team. For in the spirit of humility, that means we, we surrender our interests. And there's a big difference between sensitivity and surrender, right? For the longest time, after I got saved at the age 12, you know, I mean, I was... Uh, okay, 12, 13, I was okay. But by the time I got into 15, 16, I wasn't really following Christ like, you know, my parents thought I was, okay? I was a cricket junkie, okay? And I was pretty good. So all the people in the neighborhood wanted me to play cricket. And so I would try to find devious ways to get out and play cricket on Sundays because most of the matches, as you know, are on Sundays, Right? And I remember sitting in a, in a hall like this, and next door is my friend who has, those days, we didn't have, by the way, we didn't have television, <laughs> okay? And not many, very many houses even had radios. But India is playing Australia or West Indies, you know what I mean? And I, I sit by the window, and, and he, I tell him to turn the, 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 the volume high, and they're breaking bread and thinking how great thou art, and I'm thinking about you know, what Clive Lloyd is going to do and, you know, and, and, and what Ramakan Desai is going to do. I mean, those are the things that I'm talking about. And then there were kids in front who were sitting with their parents, and they would look back at me and say, I said, three, two, you know? The point I'm making is this, Right? At one point in time, I was sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And it wasn't until I became 24, 25, that I was surrendered to the Holy Spirit. Get it? I was sensitive. And and this is beautiful. The the Holy Spirit sensitizes you to God's word. And even when you're straying, he brings you back. 
but I wasn't surrendered. And so this is a, a prayer of surrender. We are saying as a couple, we, Lord, we are giving it to you. You help us in this marriage situation. Search me, O oh God. That's, that's David's prayer, right? When I was talking about prayer, I said, you know, you need to become vulnerable before God. You need to expose your heart to, to a God who knows you, who's created you, who's formed you, who's fitted you, who's functionalized you. You know, it, it, Psalms 139, right? He, he's knitted together you in, 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 his, in the mother's womb and he knows every cell, every DNA. He knows your temperament. Search me, O oh God, and know my heart. Test me. And know my anxious thoughts. See if there be any offensive, any wicked way in me. We read these psalms, you know, in our churches, and 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 we don't let it functionalize and become effect, effective and efficacious in our hearts. And I'm saying that because as someone who who's done this, you know, like read it like a, read the Bible like a textbook. So you can read the Bible three ways. You can read, read the Bible as a textbook, like a rule book. Okay? Do this, do this, don't do this, do this, do this, right? You can read the Bible as a reference book. Anytime somebody asks you a question, you can go back and look at it and say, yep, you know, you're not supposed to marry a prostitute because Samson married a prostitute. Look what happened to him, Right? He lost his hair and he lost his standing before a righteous and a holy God. And we pick and choose. How come we don't wear, ta- how come we, you know, we should accept tattoos or not accept tattoos? Then we go to Leviticus. I said, well, we don't stone anybody. <laughs> you know, you see, we can't have it both ways, right? We need to understand before whom we stand. We can't go to the Old Testament, pick certain things that we don't like in our, in our neighbor's behavior. And then we say, oh, you know, that's okay over here. And what I'm saying is the fact that we need to see the Bible as a revelational book. Revealing the heart of Jesus Christ to his children. He is revealing Christ to us in the Bible. God who in various ways and in many ways in Hebrews chapter 1 spoke to us to the prophets has in these last days spoken to us through his son. So, become sensitive. So number two, first is praying. Okay, these are, these are some important points. Second is speaking the truth in love. Now, what this means, okay, is accepting and honoring each other's thoughts and feelings. That means that I cannot be dismissive if my wife tells me I'm really afraid of going to India. Okay, supposing she says that to me. I can't be dismissive of her. I have to accept what she is saying in the same tone with which she is saying. And it is my responsibility as a servant of the Lord and a husband to understand what is her fear. Is she afraid of the food? Is she afraid of the weather? Is she afraid of the people who will eat her because they look like giants? Whatever it is, right? 
It is my responsibility to understand. And then to speak to each other the truth in love. We will in all things grow up into him who is that head that is Christ. See, see what happens? When we speak the truth in love, God, through the Holy Spirit, gives us the maturity to grow into him. Okay? And I always want to bring this up. It is not to another person. It is not to a church. Grow up to him who is the head. In Proverbs it says, Reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of wise brings healing. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. You see, when the conflicts, when the marriage conflict heats up, okay? When there is friction and that there is more heat than light, guess what happens? A lot of unwholesome thoughts, unwholesome words can come out. Okay, and the scripture is reminding us in Ephesians 4, let not any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Now, the four horsemen of the apocalypse, the most destructive characteristics in a marriage. Now, John Gottman is from the University of Washington. He's a psychologist. He's done, um, he's a twen- done 20 year marriage research of thousands of couples, like almost like 50,000 couples. From variety of backgrounds, okay. Now he's not a Christian, but he has given us empirical data. I'm just talking about data, okay. And this is not revelation, okay. <laughs> Understand? This is just empirical data, just like a like uh, Isaac Newton, you know, discovered gravity, right? You throw a ball up, it comes back down because of 33 feet per second. There is a there's a law of gravity, right? I mean, so, so Isaac Newton is not giving us new revelation. He's discovering some things. And John Gottman has discovered. He calls this the four horsemen of the apocalypse, the most destructive characteristics in a marriage. <coughs> the first is criticism. And the second is contempt. And it, it, it manifests itself. One partner having trouble accepting the other. You see, when we got married, we said to each other, right? For better or for worse, our wedding, our marriage is like Christ and the church. And then as we grew our life together, we found out that, that there are habits, there are personalities, there are things that we don't like. And then we start to criticize you know, that person, what they do. And pretty soon, criticism becomes contempt. Three is defensiveness and stonewalling. What is defensiveness? Anybody? Pardon? Good. Just everything that your wife or your husband tells you, you know, says, the reason I did that is because, you know, I mean, everything is defensive, right? In other words, you, you can't accept what your partner is telling you. What is stonewalling? 
in, in, I don't know if you watch American football, okay? But when you watch American football, the running back, right, he takes the ball, okay, and he runs fast. And as the defense is coming, tackling him, guess what he does? He stiff arms them, right? He puts his arm out and he just, and he keeps running with one ball in one hand. He's stiff arming them. See, he's just pushing that other partner away. That is stonewalling. Now, John Gottman has found when in a marriage these four characteristics are present, it is destructive to the marriage. Criticism. This doesn't mean that you know if if your wife quits something and he says, "Hey, I need more salt." That's not what he's talking about, right? He's talking about a habit, a, a something that dominates your marriage. You're critical about everything, how, how she looks, how, what she wears, what she, you know, her in-laws, her, her, her in-laws would be your parents, but I mean, you know, <laughs> you know, and she may, she, may, she may criticize that anyway, but whatever, you know what I mean? <laughs> Defensiveness and stonewalling, okay, so just keep this in the back of your mind, like I said, it's not revelation, but it's, it's something that this particular gentleman has done a lot of research on, and he can go back and he say, hey, this is what I found. Resulting from the four traits are unacceptable behaviors, which is the description of James chapter 4, verse 1. Okay? Can somebody read for me James chapter 4, verse 1? Okay. So, over there you'll find three, three aspects. If you look at it very closely, see the source of your conflict, the force of your conflict, and the course of your conflict. Okay? The source of your conflict... The force of your conflict, you're destructive. And the course of your conflict, what happens over time. Okay? So, four traits, these four traits, criticism, contempt, defensiveness, and stonewalling, result in these four traits which are unacceptable, and it's a description of James 4.1. And we need to understand that in in any marriage, there are certain things that are unacceptable, Okay? If a wife slaps her husband continuously, or vice versa, I deliberately said it the other way, okay? Physical abuse, okay? Notice what I said repeated infidelity, child abuse, alcoholism that leads to abuse, and drug addiction, they may not be acceptable within a marriage framework. And I know it's hard to understand that there are marriages that have these things happen. I was an elder for a long time. In, you know, of course, you know, this, we moved to Chicago five, six years ago. And this is the first time I've been in an Indian church. I've been, I've been in an American church. And we had a couple. It was like maybe 25 to 30. She was an RN and he was an electrician, her husband. And... Uh, he said he was saved, you know, although the elders of the church did, did uh, counsel her not to marry him, but she finally got married, and he used to come to church. And after about four years, he, he went back to his alcoholism. Okay? <clears throat> and, uh, you know, it was a very difficult situation for us. And I had just been asked to join the eldership and I saw the older elders. In fact, one, one time, the, one of the oldest elders, he went and he actually sat outside the bar where this gentleman was. He was drunk. He put that guy in a car, in his car. 
And he brought him home to the house. And next day when he was sober, he, he can't remember a thing. And this went on for years. Counsel and, and you know, elders praying. And, and you know, I mean, I, I, for the first time I saw the difficulty of what it means to be an elder. We'd go to this young couple and we would, you know, because we wanted to do everything possible to keep that marriage intact. And then one day he left and he would just go and not come home for four, five, six days. And finally he just left. These are difficult things, right? What happens if there's abuse? Child abuse. You think that doesn't occur? I'm telling you it occurs because I know. Within the assembly setting. That nobody wants to talk about. And I'm talking about it because I want us to, be under, to understand. That there are people in our households that are abusing children. I'm not saying it happens all the time. None of these things happen all the time. But it does happen. And when it does happen, what do we do? Right? We just, ah, okay, you know, I mean, we got to keep the marriage together somehow. We got, we got, you know, we, yeah, you keep abusing the kid. Is that what we do? All I'm saying is the fact that I'm deliberately bringing this up to your generation because I want you to be aware that you don't turn your eyes or ears deaf because of the previous generation. That you and I need to pray and we need to understand how to deal with this. And I'm not giving you, an, giving you an exposition right now on all of those things. But I just want you to be aware of the existence. And just because we are in an assembly and because we are born again, that does not mean that it does not happen. Okay? And if, it, if, if, if this was reported to me only once, I would have thought, but it has reported to me multiple times. The church needs to get involved as soon as these behaviors manifest or are reported. Okay? When I say the church needs to get involved, it doesn't mean that you go to the house and you knock the door down. That's not what I mean. Okay? I mean we need to get on our knees. Right? We need to understand the sensitivity to each partner. The, 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 the wife needs to have sisters who will, who will uphold her in prayer. The husband needs to have brothers. Sometimes it needs to be couples. The church needs to get involved. Then, I suppose those that are married here know this already, right? We cannot change each other. Okay? For every one of us that's that got married thinking that I could change my partner, sorry. <laughs> okay? I believe that my wife is my biggest sanctification. Okay? But, there are things that we cannot change. Why? God alone can change us, right? That's why we P-R-A-Y. <laughs> That's why we don't take prayer lightly. That's why we, we beseech God. Create in me a clean heart. 
see if there be any wicked way in me. That's not, we don't say create in her a clean heart and see if there be any wicked way in her. When we come to break bread, what does the scripture say about examination? Let each one examine himself. (laughs) And then so let him eat, right? Examine, confess, and then don't stay away. Eat. Your father and my father, heavenly father, Jesus Christ does not want you to stay away from the dining room table. He wants us because he says, I've given you a place at my table. I want you to come and take it. But guess what? Examine, confess, and eat. God alone can change both of us. We must give up ourselves. Okay, that's what it means. We must give in and we must give all. It's in quotes. It's not my quote. Okay, okay so I think from Dennis Rainey. Philippians 2, 1 through 8. You know that, right? About Christ. Let this mind be in you that is also in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not think it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of zero, made himself of no reputation. Wherefore God hath highly exalted him, that every knee shall bow, and every tongue confess that he is God to the glory of God the Father. We must give up, give in, and give all. All of our differences, okay, please understand this. All of our differences are magnified in marriage because they feed what is undoubtedly the biggest source of our conflict, our selfishness and our sinful nature. Little things are magnified in marriage because of my selfishness and my sinful nature. Think you may okay. So just think about this, right? When we pray, we can ask the Lord, Lord, release me from my selfish nature. My selfish nature needs to be defeated. The other thing that is good for all all of us, okay, self-identified differences. I mean it's good to know, right? That my wife has certain preferences, okay? She wants to go to bed at a certain time. You know, I mean, there are some things that we need to know of each other. Self-identify those differences and respect them. Over time, if it is not talked about, those differences become what I call repellents. Small irritations, private habits, spending parenting styles, philosophies. There are people that have told me this. I wonder why God put us together. I wonder why your parents chose to have this marriage arranged this way. Not that any one of those marriages, any, any one of those, those processes are any better than the other, right? Small irritations. Okay, little things become magnified. Identify and understand. Finally accept and adjust. This is a very, very meaningful statement at the bottom of this slide. 
God gave you a spouse who completes you in ways you haven't even learned yet. Okay? Understand? God gave you a spouse who completes you in ways that you haven't even learned yet. And the beauty of this is that right before you, okay, in your home, is a child of God who is blossoming and flowering as God wanted to, and you're seeing her or him changing into his image every day. Isn't that wonderful? You know, one of the beautiful things about God, our God is an incredible artist. Right? Incredible artist. He doesn't paint two sunrises alike. Every day when we say his mercies are new every morning, we go out and see a sunrise and he blankets the canvas and next day it's another sunrise. And in a growing, flowering marriage, that's what happens. My wife was here, she said, hey, what happened to you then? (laughs) Accept and adjust, right? We have to. And it's not just in church, okay? I mean, it's not just in the home, in the church too. We have to accept. Some people like to sit up front, some people like to sit back, right? We have to accept that. We have to adjust. And here is a, a, a verse that is rarely talked about in any marriage. They'll always talk about Ephesians, but they never go to First Peter. <laughs> Dwell in understanding with your wife. How do you dwell in understanding with your wife unless you know her? Dwell in understanding with your wife, okay? Solid fellowship daily, and I'm going to move faster now. If it is possible, as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men, right? Every day. When conflict is not resolved, there is no fellowship. When conflict is resolved or it is being resolved, there is fellowship. Pursuing peace means that you take the initiative, right? If any man sins, remember in Matthew 18, what does it say? You go to the person that has been offended. Rather than to resolve a conflict rather than waiting for the other person to take the first step. Setting aside your own hurt, anger, bitterness, and laying your life down. That's what it means. And it's awfully hard. I'm not saying this is not easy. This this is terribly hard, okay? It challenges each other to keep your relationship current. Don't allow Satan to get a victory over the unresolved things in your marriage. By the way, I know you're taking pictures, but I'll give you slides, okay? No problem. I would love to have those slides given to you guys so you can conduct your own marriage conflict resolutions. Strive for resolution through loving confrontation. This is also very important. He who has a good friend needs no mirror. William Wordsworth said that, right? The writer of the poem Daffodils. Check your motivation, okay? Ask these questions. Even now, you, you know, if there's a conflict going on between you and your, your spouse, you can ask those questions. Will my words help or hurt? 
Will it bringing this cause healing, wholeness, and oneness, or further isolation? Check your attitude. I care about you. I respect you. I want you to respect me. I want you to know how you feel. See, that is respect, right? That is honor. That is understanding each other. Check the circumstances, you know, and, and this is an important thing also, practicality, right? I mean, supposing you have a problem with your husband, you know, and he, he's had a bad day at work, and he comes rushing home from, you know, going through the streets of Bangalore, and he's tired, and, and he barely sits down, and you just barrage him with a whole bunch of things, you know, that, that are, uh, that, that's, a, that's uh, uh, attacking you, or you're in the middle, middle of something, whatever it is, right? So... Never criticize, make fun of, or argue with your spouse in public. (laughs) Loving confrontation also means you focus on understanding rather than winning and losing. There is no winning and losing in marriage. Okay? Marriage is not a 50-50 proposition. It is a... What is it? 100-100 proposition. Listening. And here, you know, males, the male species, the husbands, are not very good at listening. Okay, I just have to tell you that. I mean, I'm, I'm being general. There might, be a, okay, there might be some exceptions. Maybe you guys are the exceptions. I don't know. But my wife constantly tells me I'm not a good listener, and other people have told me the same thing. So guess what? I become a speaker. <laughs> One issue at a time. These so are practical things, okay? When you bring several issues, that's called sandbagging, right? You know, if you can't bring five years of, war, of, of issues to one marriage resolution issue, you know what I mean? And there are, there are some people, by nature, they are, they are, they are file keepers. They, are, they have a file. They say they've forgiven you, but as you talk to them, you say, yeah, but in 19, 2008, when I went to your house, you know, you know, this is what you told me, and you told me I couldn't buy this, and, you know, I mean, and I, I thought, I, let me say, I thought you forgave me for that. Yeah, I did, but I, it, it comes to mind, okay? Now, here's the thing. We don't have amnesia, right? God doesn't either. We always say forgive and forget, right? How does God forgive us? Does he forget our sins? You know what it says in First Psalms 103? What does it say? Your sins I will remember no more. He chooses to forget. Because if God had amnesia, if he forgot, he would not be all knowing, right? He knows. But he chooses to forget. He chooses to lay down his life. So we choose by decision of the will not to bring it up. You focus on the problem, not the person. Okay? Focus on the problem, not the person. Focus on the behavior, not the character. Focus on the facts, not judging motives. So these are good things to remember for loving confrontation. Seek forgiveness early. The key to maintaining open, intimate, and happy marriage is what? As soon as you know, ask for forgiveness. And it works good with your spouse. It works good with God. (laughs) 
No matter how hard two people try to love and please each other, they will fail in their own strength as imperfect people. That's why we need to pray. That's why we need to ask for wisdom. So, every failure comes hurt, and the only ultimate relief for hurt is forgiveness. And you, I cannot forgive you, and you cannot forgive me in our own strength. Right? We can't. We need to ask God to help. So here's Matthew 6, 14 and 15, so you know that verse by, by heart, I suppose. Here's another one. Retaliation. Vengeance is mindset the Lord. It's not vengeance is mine, said the Lord, okay? <laughs> Big difference is where the comma is, <laughs> okay? Vengeance is mine, said the Lord. Spouses often are proficient at trading insults about the way he looks, the way she cooks, or the way he drives, and the way he or she cleans house, okay? Over long term of marriage, you know, spouses are, become experts at trading insults. To be a blessing means stepping aside or simply refusing to retaliate even as your spouse might get angry, okay? When you eagerly seek to be a blessing, you're pursuing oneness. God's desire for a marriage. First Peter chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. And I read a portion of that verse, dwelling in understanding. Here are some case studies from the book of Acts on conflict resolution. Okay? Different, the Greek widows in Acts 6, the Antiochian church in Acts 15, and the personal. So, see that? There's a societal and a communal fairness process in Acts chapter 6. There's a doctrinal issue in Acts chapter 15, and there are preference issues in Acts chapter 15. Okay, that's, those case studies I presented to, uh, I think, IBF last year at IBF conference, case study. Anyway, it's past time, uh, 120 seconds past time. So, any quick questions? Is your mind absolutely saturated, but is your heart tender? Has God spoken to you? Okay, let's close in prayer. Father, even as we've considered these passages from the scriptures, Father, we know that these are hard things. But the beauty of this whole thing is, Father, we live in the strength and the power of a great God who forgave us, who loves us, and who wants our marriage to be absolutely successful and truly a reflection of Christ in the church. We have to confess, Father, that in our own strength we, we fail and we can't do that. So we, we bow to the control and the command of God Almighty. Bless us, strengthen us, give us hearts that are responsive. Lord, and allow, Lord, the, your truth to seep in for our transformed marriage. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you.